Thanks, Sam. Oh, we turn now to the Word of God together, and we're in John chapter 9 today. If you'd like to be in your Bible and follow along, and it's been an amazing journey in John. Every time that I think we, this is, this is the best piece ever, then we get the next piece, and it's just more and more. I just, I get excited and excited to share with you this morning this piece because because here's the thing jesus is more radical than you know and i said well i already think jesus is pretty radical yeah he's more radical even than that and and the 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 truth that you and i see each other right now and you're looking at me and i'm looking at you and we think oh yeah you know I, i i'm here to worship jesus and i have this idea and i know what it is that i'm doing and 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 i've got a good handle on this whole christian thing and 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 here i am i'm i'm here to worship god and then we get a story like this one and i realize in my flesh yet again that i don't see very well the one who really sees is god and even right now i just don't even with my glasses on it's more radical than I think, you know. I mean, it's not just that Jesus is the bread of life. He is. Oh, my goodness. It's not just he gives the water of life or he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. I think of the story of the cross, and I get it, and it's warm, and it's amazing, and it's deep. But, but we left last time our story with Jesus on the run. I mean, not in any covert way, like they were really going to get him. It wasn't his time. He faded away. But people had picked up stones to kill him because he was so radical in what he was saying. Even before Abraham was ever alive, I am. What does that mean that he is God incarnate? What does it mean that he said to you and me, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you've got no place in me. Oh my goodness, if that doesn't sound like cannibalism, I just don't know what cannibalism is. And so he's saying these things that are, I'm a little bit like, whoa, do I really get it? And we who gather around the cross, we say it's radically about trusting that Jesus Christ has me. Not just for some distant future, but right now for the works he wants to do through me, that the things that are happening to me and in me and around me, they're not things I control. Like if I just took the right steps, I'd make it better. But but I'm trusting that Jesus and the Holy Spirit in me, he's using me in this world. This is an offensive story to me. I'm going to confess to you as we start today. Because I'm a physician by training. And I think... Everybody should just be healed. I'm against suffering. I took this oath. Some of my classmates took the oath of Louis Lasagna. You guys can look it up. But I took the standard Hippocratic oath, you know, the first do no harm oath, the one that says I just my, my life is about helping people be better. And so some of what God says to me today in here is offensive to my flesh because the implication is he doesn't want everybody better. Oh, my goodness. I mean right now, temporally. I don't mean forever. Could that be true? Could your afflictions be actually used by God? Could he actually, if they're okay, that they happen? No, no, God. You've got to, you've got to just bless the people who are upright and curse the people who are bad. Not have some other plan. 
And so we come to today. I'm calling it Made to See. We, we have this chapter and the whole story in chapter 9. It goes from 1 to the end. We can't do the whole chapter today. It'll take too long. We're going to do the miracle today, and we'll do the response of the religious legalistic folks later next week. I want you to first see the blind person. This is not them. This is just the idea of looking at blind eyes. See this person with me, will you? See him as Jesus saw him. Um, Blindness is not good. Right? Introduction to the blind man here. So it says in verse uh, 1 of of chapter 9, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay, as we start our story, right, and I told you, Jesus is on the run. These guys are, 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 are going to throw rocks at him, stone him, try and kill him. So Jesus slips away, and, and as he's slipping away, he sees this blind man. I know, I'd be going, hey, see you later, buddy. I'll be real, I'm on, I'm on the run here. But Jesus stops, and we're going to have this interaction. And the only thing you really know about this man is that he's been blind from birth. And I don't want you to miss that. I mean... I don't know. If you don't like crummy pictures, don't look at the screen now. Okay, now everyone's really staring at the screen. This is blind from birth. Uh, at least one thing. There's a bunch of things that can cause blindness from birth. Um, uh, certain infections can in the womb. You can have some congenital pieces. But this is a really common one. It's called anophthalmia. It means you just don't have eyeballs. They didn't develop. It's, it's a hard thing. Uh, there's other, rubella, gonorrhea, genetic defects. There's different vitamin A deficiency in the womb can cause that. Well, different stuff, right? But blind, and if at birth, and why I put this up here, it's not like, oh, you know, I, I just need some help. I need a doctor. Blind from birth means you will never, ever see. Right? That, that's, that's this person, Right? Not reversible. Because if you never have eyes, or if your eyes don't work from the very get-go when you're an infant, which is what it says this man was, he was born blind. You have in the back of your eyes retinas, these cones that get the light, they transfer to optic nerve that takes it to your brain, and then in your visual cortex, you actually see the image upside down and reversed, right? It's amazing all the complex pieces that have to develop over time for you to see. If you don't have it when you're an infant... It just never developed. It's like you're missing a leg. I just didn't get the leg. It's not like my leg could be healed. This man needs healing. No, he just doesn't have it. Right? So it's not a case of therapy or medicine or a little help he could see like a hearing aid or a pair of glasses. Jesus bumps up against somebody and sees somebody. The person doesn't see him. He sees them. One of a kind of of, of creature who's meant to have eyes in the universe that Jesus made. Jesus made the universe, right? (laughs) The Bible tells us in Colossians and Hebrews 1, he holds it all together by the word of his power. Jesus does. And he goes and he sees this creature that's supposed to have eyes because that's the universe he made and he doesn't have eyes. He sees suffering. He sees wrongness. And one of the greatest miracles in the Bible happens right here. Because God sees. God acts. 
So, so I just, I want you to see this guy. So that, that's the thing. As, as you walk by and Jesus is walking by and he sees and he notices this man who's been born blind and he's always been blind his whole life and he's been however long he's lived. Maybe it's 25 years. Maybe it's 30 years. Maybe it's 50 years. We don't know. But it's been multiple years. He doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't call out to Jesus. He doesn't come up and plead with Jesus. Hell, heal me, please. He's just seen. I think this is really important that happens right here and it happens for a reason. The reason why is this. We've just come off chapter 8. What happened in chapter 8? The people who believed in Jesus says they believed in him and Jesus starts talking to him. They believed in him that he was a great teacher, that he was a great man, that he was an amazing person, that he was a rabbi. But Jesus starts poking at him and he makes the claim that he's God and they don't hear it. And Jesus says, you're, you're deaf, you can't hear me. My word, you just can't hear it. And we're left with this thought, how will we hear? How will anyone hear? How will anyone actually hear the truth and receive it that they are sinners and they just need a savior, not a helper? And then we come to this chapter. And I really wanted to see that guy. Because he's you. Right? That's the whole thought. It's spiritual blindness that the sign is about. I mean, I think so, right? Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, we read it this morning. Here it is. I'll put it on the, on the screen. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. I have no trouble seeing the light of the need for self-improvement. The need for really judging your behavior. I have no need for that. I can't see, we can't see the light of the glory of God in Christ, the gospel, the good news. And, and, and so we need somebody to help us see how will it happen. We're not seeing a bit wrongly and needing to see the eye doctor. We miss this. We think people are basically okay and they need Jesus to sort of reorient their moral compass. But they're blind and so are we. Okay, back to Jesus. It's incredible. He has time for this man. And the disciples, the disciples come right at him, right, with a question. So Jesus, he sees the man. The disciples are with Jesus. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a good question, an interesting question, don't you think? It's universal, I think. I mean, one of the hardest and biggest things of Christianity, of the whole world, is dealing with evil and dealing with suffering and saying, why did this happen to me? Or why did this happen to that person? I went through the... I was a medical student and then a resident during the some of the start and the worst of the HIV crisis in America. Clear statements all over the church, man. Look, we know why this is happening to people. They sinned. That's this kind of thinking, right? Your sin will find you out. So their thinking is, and they'd been taught, the disciples had been taught that sin and hurt, sin and injury, injury and handicap, they're, they're linked together. The human hurt is the result of the human sin. 
So this is a common assumption that sin and suffering and guilt and death are all linked together, right? The entailment of the fall in Genesis 3, or, or there's no death without sin. Even in the Bible, there's no, no death without sin is a, a quote from Ezekiel. Chapter 18, verse 20, the soul who sins will what? Die. No suffering without guilt. Psalm 89, verse 32, I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. So the idea, God judges sin and the judgment is the physical manifestation of wrongness. The hands of God's wrath will be upon you. In fact, I don't know what you've done, but by looking at your life and seeing how you're doing, I can tell you if God's mad at you or not. This whole thinking was in the church. It's in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. People start to think this way because we look and we judge each other. And there's things we can't control. So if there are things that are happening that are good to you, it must be that God is blessing you if you've you've, uh, been... Blessed with wealth, or you've been blessed with health, or you've been blessed with things, and, and you don't read too closely, don't, don't read Psalm 73. But I still, in my own flesh, which is what I think, it's, a, it's, it's just what it is, right? Sin has what? Consequences. I may not see your sin, but sometimes I see the consequences. Personal and direct. If you're sick, you sinned. If you're in poverty, you sinned. If you're suffering, you sinned. The reason God's not blessing you is you don't deserve it. Well, uh, this has the implication that if if you have that stuff, then you, you do deserve it. So that's an easy question. I don't think they'd even ask him if the guy hadn't been blind from birth, but this guy's been blind from birth. Tricky question, huh? What did he do when he was in the womb? To make him be blind. Because that was one line of thinking, right? One line of thinking was if someone gets is born with a defect that somehow he sinned in the womb. Because Psalm 51 says that in sin my mother conceived me and I was brought forth in iniquity, says David. Genesis 4.47, some rabbis taught, you know, that, that when it says to Cain, when God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, the door is the womb. That even the womb, some baby that doesn't do right, man, they come out with a defect. I'm not saying that's right thinking. I'm saying that's what some people are teaching. Way easier to think the parents messed up. Right? I mean, that means logical sense for me. Your your kid's born with a defect. Was mom a heavy drinker? Did they do drugs? Because then that suffering that the child is suffering is because of the sins of the parents. That idea, Right? It's easier to understand, but, man, bummer for the man. In Exodus 20, verse 5, it says that God would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation. said, well, you know, the reason my life hasn't gone well is my grandma did horrible things. Is that right? No, it's not right. Because you got later on in Ezekiel again, right, where God says, I'm not doing that. That's not true. Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins will die is individual responsibility for your sins. So you're kind of stuck, man. Personal sins, it's not very compelling that it's in the womb, but 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 is that what the guy did? And so the disciples are asking that question. This is the viewpoint of the disciples. What went on 
Because we know something bad happened, the guy doesn't can't see. This touches me personally. I was in Africa and, and uh, pastor conference, and my wife and I had been trying to have kids, and we were trying for seven years. And a couple of pastors came up and said, well, the problem is you have hidden sin in your life. If you just stop sinning, then God could bless you. So they all prayed for us, but, the, you know, we're sitting there. We, we, Danny and I are doing a sin inventory. You know, what, what did we do wrong? And trying to figure out, because if we could just get it right, then this bad thing would stop happening to us. And that's how we think life was going on, that I've done something wrong. Who sinned to make this happen? And Jesus says this. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Whoa. So Jesus says neither, right? He opens up a whole new way of thinking. Not that he sinned particularly or his parents either, but something else is at work. So he's not saying that sin can't be linked to suffering or there aren't any consequences to sin. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying that this particular thing that's happening to this man is not because he sinned and not because his parents sinned. So the works of God might be displayed in him. He's taking suffering in a different direction. And what it should do for us, what it does for me, is it starts going, well, I can't judge. I can't look at someone who's suffering or who's not doing well or whose circumstances are hard or whose place is difficult. I can't say, you know what, they really messed up their life. Why? Well, exhibit A, man blind from birth. And Jesus says, no, it's not that he sinned. That's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Think about your life. Find the worst thing that happened to you. And think, have you linked it? Haven't you linked it to man if I only wouldn't have screwed up? It's not a theology of suffering. This isn't a why for everyone. But Jesus here says his blindness today to display the works of God, all his not seeing. And and think about this. You say, well, I know it's because so that he could do this sign right here. Jesus was going to show up when he was 32 and he was going to going to heal him. And so that. But then you're thinking that God was just fine with 32 years of blindness. So that at the point in time, Jesus would show up and heal him. Are you okay with that? I mean, think about it. This big deal. This becomes a big deal. Because again, physician Swanson over here. It's like, I don't want somebody to spend more than two days if I had the power to stop and heal them. And yet in God's economy, and so what do I want to do? I want to get mad at God. I want to tell God he's wrong. I want to say, boy, that's that's something that God wouldn't do that. It says who? Me. Who says differently? Jesus. I wonder who's right. This is so hard for my flesh. I don't like it. I say, no, no, no. And I say, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. God's in charge. What are you supposed to see? If you're going to get your sight, this man's going to get his sight. What is he supposed to see? 
What are the works of God? What are the works of God here in verse 3? It says, or the works of God might be displayed in him. It's like, wow, you know what? What is that? It's, I'll tell you what it is for sure. It's God's actions, not his. The works of God. Jesus isn't saying so that we could see his responses and see if he got them right and see if he's humble and see. If, no, he's saying that the whole reason this is happening is because I'm in charge and I have a plan and I know exactly what's going on and it's worth it, this suffering that this man has. In fact, it's part of my plan to save everybody. <laughs> Whoa. Everybody who will believe in him. That's what you need to see of this blind man. Not how bad a sinner he was that he was blind. Not how terrible his parents were that they messed up and therefore he's blind. Not how bad the world is and so therefore he's blind. No, his inability highlights what? The work of God. I don't think God works this way. Yeah, that's my problem. I'm blind. God works deeper than I know. In ways I don't understand. What some theologians call the hiddenness of God. I can't see him. By the way, if I could, I could be God with him. But I'm not. Okay, so this is the backdrop, right? This is our terrible state, the terrible state of society, the ungodly sin that afflicts us and so many, the wrongness and the suffering. And I think it's terrible. We've got to end it now. And Jesus is like, no, there's a plan. Trust me. Okay, so now I want to see Jesus. We look at this man, and I think we get a good feeling for him. We don't know too much about him. That's one of the things. But but we know he's been blind from birth. This is something that just doesn't happen. So now I want you to make a clean look at Jesus. Jesus continues. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I think it's so amazing what Jesus does here, because he slips into the plural, and I don't think it's the royal we. He's saying him and the disciples, right? They're not doing anything in this scene except asking him a question, but we're here together, and he's the light. Just being near him, testifying to him. So he's saying while it's day. He doesn't mean before heaven. He's not saying talking about heaven here. He's talking about his just a few months before he goes to the cross. He's going to die and then there's going to be a period of time when there's nothing before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And there'll be no further signs from Jesus. Night. So, so the critical part of the story is Jesus. This urgency, there's limited time, there's a push to be showing, revealing, and, you know, without Jesus, the blind man remains blind. There's no hope for change, nobody sees. He's the light of the world. Most remarkable thing to me is, because I get it, Jesus is blazing out there, he's the light of the world, but then the people are blind and they can't see. They need the light of the world even to open their eyes so that they can see the light of the world. (laughs) Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. 
So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is the miracle. Right, it's so closely tied to I am the light of the world. And having said that, Jesus bends down and he spits, right? He makes clay. I was going to demonstrate for you, but who needs to watch anyone spit? And he makes this muddy stuff, right? He uses it on the man's eyes. He sends him to this pool. The guy went and he washed and he came back seeing this incredible miracle. And, 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 and again, can I just, I know I'm beating it to death, but can I just say this is, this is incredible, amazing. To a student of the human body. Like heart surgery is really amazing, but it's plumbing. You switch a couple of, 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 of veins around and, you know, it's sewing a little bit. I, I know that the heart's cool and all, but it's not that difficult compared to restoring sight to someone who's been blind forever. Remaking the eyes, remaking the retina, remaking the optic nerve, remaking the visual cortex, giving you the ability to do it, and just creating it de novo. This is an act of creation that nobody can ever do. God did it. Amazing. How'd he do it? What is he doing? So pages of commentary. Ink are spilt on this, you guys. The medicine, look, why, why is he doing this? Jesus saying, why did he spit? What's the clay? Is he doing something magical? What, what, what is it? You know, it's not a spell. Is it medicine? He's saying medicine's okay. You can use medicine. Look, look, uh, people at the time sometimes use clay. Maybe it's medicine. They didn't do this. Saying, well, you know, it's a poke at the Pharisees. The dirt was unclean. And so Jesus spits in the dirt. He makes it clean. And therefore his spit makes dirt clean. I think that's a stretch. Maybe it's like um, the Jesus dust. Jesus is in the dust of the earth like creation. He's doing creative work of God. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Remember, this is a sign. There's more going on than the physically blind man getting healed, particularly with John calling your attention to something. What? what? What did he call your attention to? Kind of funny, huh? If you read that, why does he care that he went to that pool? Why is he telling you that it means scent? What's he trying to say? I think we should look at this a little bit deeper. And I don't want to take a ton of time on this, but it's, it's really interesting and it's super cool. So walk with me for a minute about what's going on. So here's Genesis. Remember Genesis? God formed man out of what? The clay, right? The dirt. So th- this idea of the potter and the clay in Jeremiah 18. So he smears clay. He smears the clay, the spit and the dirt together, across the man's eyes. So I'm going to show you a picture, maybe something like this. I don't know. This is from a movie. I'm not sure this is what it is, but he, he puts stuff across. So there's a guy who already can't see. It's not like he can see when he leaves Jesus. So I, I think that clay, generally, almost in all scriptural references, is sort of the humanity, his humanity. What's keeping him from seeing is actually his flesh, his humanity. His own fallen human nature, his hindrance to seeing. And so Jesus sends him to the pool. Can't you just see the blind man? And now he's got this swath of clay across his face, and he's stumbling around trying to get to the pool, which is not close by, we don't think. Because this pool, this pool of Siloam, he had to go through a ravine, the Kidron Ravine, which is where this place that you might know of was, called the Temple 
And out of the temple, waters came and would bubble up in this pool, which is why the pool was called Sent, because the water was sent from the temple to the pool. Jesus says, go, for the presence of God and water comes out of Water was sent. So Salome representing that which was sent from God, the water of life. Go, says Jesus, wash in the water sent from God. I wonder what that might refer to. Spiritual cleansing that you've got to have, the true spring of water flowing forth from God, like Isaiah 8. And go read Isaiah 8 sometime. We won't go there. We don't have time. But it talks about the Messiah. It's like in John 7, those waters scooped from the pool of Siloam. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. Come to the living water sent from heaven. He's again and again and again. Every Do you realize you need me? The blind man, his eyes caked with the clay of humanity, touched by Christ, washed himself in the waters of the sent one. This is where we go. Christ alone, the physical picture, the man miraculously sees, the spiritual picture, you and I, no less miraculously, we can see. This part of the chapter, and kind of our morning, closes with this comical interaction that's nonetheless really striking. Look. Look what they do. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar. So we don't dwell on the healing. He just, he went and he did it and he's healed. And now the neighbors and the neighbors who had seen him before as a beggar, because that's how you would have made your living if you were blind, had said, is it not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, oh, oh, it's he. Others said, no, no, but he's, he's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. <laughs> I love this. The neighbors knew him, you know, because he'd been there all the, all the time. He'd always been on the corner. And, and it said, isn't this guy? And it's like, some say, oh, maybe. He said, no, you know, he just looks like him. Because there's no way he could ever see. And the guy's like jumping up and down. It's me. It's me. It's me. I can see. That's the obvious question, right? If that happened, what would you do? You say, well, how in the world did that happen to you? So they did, right? They like, well, how do you your eyes open? And he answered, well, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. It's good to end here this morning because if this is a sign, and it is, and if Jesus is the light of the world, and he is, if we're in darkness and blindness until the light shines on us, and we are, then we're the blind man in this story. And like him, we don't have to make up some story. You see what he did? It's not like, oh, well, well, yes, no, no, I know, I'm Jesus, and, and I don't know him. I don't know. How did this happen? I don't know. Where is he? I don't know. Right? I mean, the reality is the testimony. No big instruction to tell people. No big teaching by Jesus on how to get spiritually unblind. Just the actual sign Jesus takes someone who would never see, who's been blind his whole life, and he makes them see, and then that's the truth. Here's the truth. He did it. There's so much we don't know and this humble ignorance that we all should have. And we see somebody say, why did this happen to them? Somebody, I don't know. 
Why is that person succeeding and that person not? I don't, I don't know. I know this. My eyes have been opened. There's a Messiah. He's forgiven all my sin. So suffering and darkness and blindness and sin, was it worth it for this man? We're not done with them. We're going to see next week. But I refer you again to 2 Corinthians we read this morning. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And he got it. Everybody who's ever lived is blind. Everybody who's ever lived blind from birth to not see God, to not receive this amazing gift of Jesus. And at some point, our eyes had to be opened and somehow say, oh, well, was it worth it for all those? It's worth it because we can see. Do you know that God could stop this crazy world at any moment? That's my faith. I hope it's yours, but he has a plan. It's his plan, not ours. Tough truth for us. We don't like it. We want to judge God. We want to stop the suffering. We don't understand. I don't understand why my dad was in a wheelchair for for 10 years. I don't get it, God. Why cancer strikes a friend and they die young. Why pain afflicts someone and comes and stays. But God knows and he says, trust me, he's really in charge even here. And you say, what, are you blaming God for that? I'm saying, no, I'm saying he's in charge. Why do I say that? Because of this, things like this. Look at Exodus chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, it is. And so when you and I realize that we're in darkness and the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is shining in the face of Jesus and we see and we will always see because of it, it's amazing. We can rejoice. And this is what makes us different. Not that we're going to have the answer for everything. Not that we're going to be able to judge other people in their place they're at. But that this has happened to us. We believe in the promises of Jesus Christ. They never fail. And he will resurrect us. We have been made to see Jesus. We've heard the news. Our sins are forgiven. We see our blindness and we're amazed at the announcement that he has set us free. Let's pray.